Welcome to those of you who are gathered here with us this morning and those joining us online. If you would like to use a Bible today, I'd like to ask the ushers to pass them out at this time. You can use them in this space. We're focusing in today on the call of Moses. It's found in the book of Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And through our series, Trust Issues, we continue to learn, both for those people in the Bible and for us today, faith is trusting God for what only He can do. And sometimes that trust comes easy, and sometimes it's really hard. But where God calls us, He also will provide for us. And in this biblical story that we're unpacking today, we'll see in powerful ways that our God is willing and able to meet us right where we are to lead us into more than we'd ever imagine. And to that end, I want to start by getting something off my chest. There's a phrase that's used a lot in the Christian world that's recently really started to grate on me. Because even though I know people mean well by using it, I think it can actually give us the wrong impression about what God wants to do in our lives. And that phrase is this one, Lord, I am praying for more of you and less of me. Now, What people mean when they pray that prayer is that we want more of who Jesus is to be at work in us. And I always will say amen to that prayer. And less of our sinfulness and our selfishness and those things that keep us from being like Jesus. But the problem is with this prayer, that's not actually what you're praying with your lips. You're not praying less of my sin, God. You're asking God for there to be less of me as if being you is somehow a bad thing, as if what God wants most is for you to stop being you as much as possible. (laughs) And that totally grates on me every time I hear it because I don't believe God wants to answer that prayer. I don't believe God wants there to be less of you. He made you for a reason, a good reason, for the sake of the good that he wants to do in the world, in you. And what your Lord wants by his presence and his power at work in you is to call into being the best and most glorious you that he created you to be. God doesn't want less of you. He wants more of you. But the problem is we don't always know who that is. But Jesus came to help us shed the baggage of sin that's broken and damaged the you that God always intended you to be. More of Jesus' power and presence might lead to less of our sin or our self-centeredness, but it doesn't lead to less of you. Jesus makes us more than we'd ever be without him. And I believe that so strongly that whenever I hear someone pray, more of you, Jesus, less of me, in my mind, I always correct it. (laughs) More of you, Jesus, to make more of me for your glory. Now, am I being nitpicky here? Yes. Of course I am. I know that when people pray that, what they're really asking for is for Jesus' love to be seen in them. So don't feel bad if you've ever prayed that prayer. I get your heart. But I think words have power to shape how we think about ourselves and about what God wants. And more of Jesus, beloved, doesn't mean less of you. It means more of you than you would ever imagine for yourself. It means life to the full. Because God doesn't want you to disappear. He wants you to trust him to step into being the you who shines his glory. Sometimes our greatest issue with trust is in us refusing to believe that God wants to do glorious things through us. 
And Moses' story tells us so much about that because there was a time when Moses didn't believe that God could use him. Hold on, Moses? Isn't he the Ten Commandments guy? The parting of the Red Sea guy? The Charlton Heston Pharaoh let my people go guy? Yes, (laughs) that's Moses. But who he was at the end of that story is nothing like what he's like at the beginning. When God first calls Moses, Moses' response is, you've got the wrong guy. Here are his words in Exodus 4.13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Seriously, look it up. (laughs) The hero of the Old Testament had no confidence at all that God could use him to do any of this. Major trust issues. So if that's where you are, there's hope for you yet. How in the world did God get Moses from here to what he became? Well, let's get into the story. If you have a Quest Bible, we're picking up the story in Exodus 3. It's on page 81. So a short summary of Moses' life up until this point. Moses was born a slave in Egypt. And the Egyptians were afraid if their slaves' number got too big, they might revolt. So they were systematically killing off the baby boys. And when Moses was born, his mother hid him to protect him. And he was found by the daughter of the Pharaoh, who raised and protected him as her own. So as Moses grew, knowing his people were the ones in slavery, he felt a little bit different from those around him. And one day he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave, and he stepped in to defend his fellow Israelite, and in the process he ended up killing the Egyptian. So of course, when Pharaoh heard about this, even being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter didn't protect him. Moses ran away from Egypt as a murderer, or more accurately, a manslaughterer. There was no premeditated attempt. But he knew that he couldn't ever go back. That life was over. He cut ties with his people, and he became a shepherd in Midian. He married a Midianite girl. He worked for his father-in-law. Eventually, the Pharaoh who had known him died, and in Midian, nobody even knew his story. So Moses was hiding, and he resigned himself to live out his days as a nameless shepherd in the desert. And that's what his life would have been, except God had other plans. God saw something in Moses that Moses didn't see in himself, and when the time was right, God called it out. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Got to imagine that God knows Moses can't resist a mystery especially with the boring life of a shepherd. (laughs) There is nothing else interesting going on. So Moses is drawn toward this strange sight like a moth to a flame. And then God calls his name. Whether out loud or in his mind, we don't know. But either way, God calls him Moses, Moses. And Moses answers him, I'm here. And God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Something of kingdom significance is about to happen right here and now. And then God introduces himself. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is the God who claims relationship with the people that Moses was born into. 
people he hadn't seen in years, people who were slaves in a different country. And yet this God knows exactly who Moses is and to whom he belongs, no matter how much he thinks he's been hiding. See, the truth is you can't hide from God. <laughs> Whether or not you see him, he sees you. And then God tells Moses his purpose. I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've come to rescue them from their slavery and set them free and lead them into a good and spacious land. And then he gets to the point for Moses in Exodus 3.10. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wait, what now? <laughs> Can you imagine if God spoke directly to you in your backyard and he told you that he wanted you to go to Iran or Iraq or Syria and demand the release of American prisoners? Would you have some questions? I bet your first one might be the same one Moses had. Moses' first objection to the call, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Why would anybody listen to me? I'm the son of slaves, a fugitive manslaughterer masquerading as a Midianite shepherd. How in the world could I demand anything from the king of Egypt? Who am I to do that? But God's answer to that isn't who are you. God's answer is to point out who he is. In Exodus 3.12, God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, Mount Horeb, where they were at that moment. He's saying, your story is going to lead you right back here, Moses, but when it does, you won't be leading sheep anymore. You'll be the leader of a nation on the move, my free people moving toward a whole new beginning. Who you are now, Moses, is not who you will be. Now, you can imagine this change of vision for his future is a lot for Moses to take in. He's never actually heard God speak before, and he certainly never imagined this future as a leader of a nation. So I'm actually kind of impressed that he's able to think as logically as he is at this point. If God's answer to, who am I to do this, is I will be with you, Moses' next question is, well then, who are you? And that might seem like a strange question to us. He's God. But in Moses' day, every local culture had gods. They had idols that they worshipped. One for this river, one for this mountain, one for this region of the country. But gods like that didn't travel. And they sure didn't track people down. But this God finds Moses in the wilderness to call him to go and deliver his people 250 miles away. And this is like no God he's ever heard of. And he wondered, who would ever believe that this God spoke to me? He hardly believed it himself. Moses' second objection, I don't even know you, led into the question, which God are you? What's your name? You see, Moses didn't yet understand who it was who was talking to him. That there is only one God who created the heavens and the earth. One God who is three in one, a relational being of love, who has always been and always will be. And how could God explain that to Moses? Well, in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He is the God who is. 
He doesn't need any other name. But in the following verses, God tells Moses he wants him to explain who he is by his relationship to his people. I am the God who is, is the God of your fathers, the God who chooses to connect himself with you, a nation of powerless slaves to be your deliverer. The God who is chooses to be yours. But Moses isn't done with his objections. He's on to objection number three. In Exodus 4, Moses asks, well, what if they don't believe that you sent me? And God told him to throw his staff on the ground and it turned into a snake until he picked it up again. God had him put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, it was full of leprosy. Terrifying. And when he put it back in, it came out clean. Then God instructed him to pour water from the Nile on the ground and he would turn it into blood. Powerful proofs of God's power over nature. And even Moses could see that would be convincing. <laughs> it was no longer an excuse that he wouldn't be believed. So he moved on to his next objection. God, maybe you can do this, but it doesn't mean that I can. Objection number four. But God, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue, he says. Some people think that Moses had a stutter. And God's answer to that was, I will help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. And when God had answered Moses every objection, he didn't have any choice left but to be honest and say what he had really been trying to say all along. In Exodus 4.13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Has that ever been you? What's really at the root of that request? When you can see what's really going on in the heart that asks this at this point, you can understand why God starts to get angry. Because in patiently addressing every one of Moses' objections, God's answer was always some variation of, trust me, I will be with you, I will help you, I will support you, I will carry you. And at the end of the day, Moses' issue really wasn't about his own inadequacy. It was just plain unwillingness to trust that God would do what he said he would do. Moses couldn't imagine himself being used as a deliverer of these people until he could believe that God is the deliverer for himself and for the world. His perspective of himself would always be limited by his perspective of God. How big is your God? As a women's retreat speaker recently shared with me, for so many of us, we get stuck. We don't move forward in faith because we let our butts get too big. You heard me, our butts. As in, I trust you, God, but... And like Moses, it always comes back to the but. We just can't get around it to see that God can be trusted for so much more than what we can imagine. And yet we see how trustworthy God is, how good he is to not give up on us even when we don't see the way. Because even in his anger at Moses' unwillingness, seeing that Moses wouldn't or couldn't step into the place of trust, God chose instead to stoop down and meet Moses right where he was. In Exodus 4, 14b, 
God brings up plan B. God says, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Okay, Moses, I get it. You need help to even start to trust me. So how about this? We'll get Aaron to do the speaking. And as for you, Moses, just hold the stick, okay? <laughs> Can you just hold the stick? We'll start with that. And we'll go from there. And that's how Moses started off his relationship with God. He started by just holding the stick. <laughs> and trusting God for one little baby step at a time, seeing that God was faithful to bring him to the next. And very soon, Moses was speaking to the people and then to Pharaoh and seeing God do miracles, seeing God make him into a shepherd, not of sheep, but of a nation of free people, just beginning to learn about this God who loved them, who they could trust one step at a time, coming to learn when they had nothing to offer him, this God loved them enough to call them into rescue through making much out of a man who would have rather disappeared. More of God in your life, beloved, leads to more of you because he's all about relationships. He's all about setting his people free to grow in relationship with him and real relationship with him requires you to bring your real self to him and be willing what he will do with you and in you. How much of your life do you think you have to have figured out before God can use you, before God can speak to you? If you think you have to have it all figured out, I can tell you you're thinking too small. Our Lord is very good at starting small with you. He'll meet you there. If you'll trust him to be who he is, your deliverer, your savior, the one who sees you and knows you and who calls you from slavery to freedom by his love. And if you trust him for that, the adventure is only beginning. He'll meet you where you are if you're willing to meet him as you are. When Jesus was arrested and sent to the cross, his disciple Peter out of fear for his own life, denied three times that he even knew Jesus. And Peter had bragged to everybody how he'd never let Jesus down, yet when it came to the test, he completely failed. And Jesus knew it. And when Jesus died on the cross, Peter was crushed. But three days later, people were saying that they'd seen Jesus alive. And soon Peter himself saw Jesus. He saw that death couldn't hold Jesus. There was a miraculous new beginning. And Peter's failure wasn't lost in an ending of regrets. There would be more to this story, to this relationship with Jesus. And in the days that followed, in the quiet moment, as they were eating fish together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, to step into this unspoken moment of betrayal between them, Jesus asks Peter a question. Peter, do you love me? And the Greek word he used for love was agape. It was an all-encompassing, unselfish, all-giving love. It's the kind of love God has for us. And Peter answered Jesus, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But the word Peter used for love here was filio, which is a love like a devoted brother. 
See, Peter had once exaggerated his ability to deliver, and I think he was wary of overselling his abilities again. So Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-giving love? And Peter again answers, Lord, I filio you. I'm devoted to you. And the third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Allowing one affirmation for every denial. This time, Jesus asks Peter, do you filio me? Are you devoted to me? Jesus meets him where he is. Peter, from what love you have to give right from where you are, will you join me in my mission to feed my sheep, to help my people know my love for them? Once you do, you'll see it more and more for yourself too. You see, the same God who chose to rescue his wayward people who had wandered away from them and gotten themselves enslaved to the world that wanted nothing more than for them to disappear came in Jesus Christ to show those trapped in sin and sadness and pain and fear there's no place he can't find us to set us free. Jesus entered into death itself to make it a way into new life for us. He is the deliverer. He alone is the way, and he calls us from where we are to be more of who he created us to be in his love, to show the world that power, that love is for them too. It's for you. It's for me. The God who found Moses hiding in the wilderness is not fooled by your hiding. He sees your heart and he's calling you too to trust him for that saving love for you. To let in more of him to make more of you. To let his love in you lead into stepping into feeding his sheep. To love your neighbor, comfort a friend, shine your gifts, bless the world because your God meets your I can't with his I am. And there will always be reasons to doubt ourselves, but for heaven's sake, for the world's sake, don't let your butt get in the way. Because Jesus came and he died and he rose so you can know a life that's bigger through the God who was and is and is to come. So this week in your prayer time, I'd like to invite you to spend some time with these questions. What is the Lord calling you to trust him for today? Where does he want to call you into more to let your light shine for his glory? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, every single one of us need more of you, more of your love, more of your calling, to hear more of your voice to go deeper into knowing what you love and what you long for, what you're calling us to be in this world to be. But Lord, as we lay our hearts before you, as we confess before you our shortcomings, we trust, Lord, as we bring them to you, that your desire is to make more of us than we could ever do ourselves, to build into us by your Holy Spirit your calling and your purpose to shine your light uniquely through each and every one of us in the way that you have created us to shine. So Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit this week you would show us a glimpse of what you're growing in us, Lord, for the sake of your glory. 
Help us to be more us, Lord, to shine more of you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.